come to the end of Acts 2, which is a snapshot of the life of the early church. It is the single most helpful summary of life in the early church in all the New Testament. You know, there's a great paradox about the church today. Here's the paradox. On the one hand, many people uh, widely denigrate the church, but on the other hand, the church is prized by Jesus Christ. On the one hand, many people, both non-Christians and Christians, either despise or dismiss or denigrate in some way the church. Some Christians even say, I love Jesus, but just not the church. As if you could accept everything that Jesus had to say, except what he said about the church. But Jesus loves the church. He died for the church. He calls it his bride. Now, if he calls it his bride, what's he saying? If not, I love the bride. I'm committed to that bride. That's the heart of Jesus. And so there's this paradox or irony. Interestingly, you cannot read through the New Testament without missing the centrality of the church. And not just the church in theory, you know, in kind of abstract, but, but the actual flesh and blood local church um, in practice. Since Acts 2, since Pentecost and the birth of the church, there are no unchurched Christians in the New Testament. They're just not there. The church is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. So to be a Christ follower means that we follow all that Christ says, including what he says about the church. So what's behind the paradox that the church is so widely dismissed or despised, and yet Christ has this enormous treasure of the church? What's behind that? Well, it's pretty simple. It's simply because the church is so flawed. And when I say the church is flawed and has a lot of warts and a lot of hypocrites, I'm not talking about those people over there. <laughs> I'm talking about this person right here. Who of us is free of hypocrisy? That might be the height of hypocrisy to say you got your act together. And that's the New Testament church. Uh, not perfect people, but uh, strugglers. Strugglers who are forgiven by Christ, united by the cross, but yet we still struggle with sin. And that's the reason behind the paradox. I love how Eugene Peterson put it. You guys know the name Eugene Peterson? He translated the message. I loved it when uh, Bono, who was a big fan of the message, wanted to talk to Eugene Peterson, who was this scholar. And he said, who is Bono? Love that. So this guy really had his, hand, his head down the books. Eugene Peterson said this about the church. The church is composed of equal parts, mystery and mess. The church is a holy mystery because we're Christ's bride. The church is a mess because we still struggle with sin. You and I do. But despite our messiness, God loves the church, and so we must love it too. Church is central to the New Testament, so it needs to be central in our lives. So what does God want the church to be like? Well, the best passage is, is this passage at the end of Acts 2. That's, that's what God wants the church to be like, including this church here at Wood's Edge. Now, at this point, I've got to have a little bit of parenthesis. So let me just step over here. 
Because we use the term church, we tend to think of, man, this campus over here on Gosling, this building. Maybe you think of the pastors, the staff. That's not the church. This building's not the church. It's just a building. You cannot go to church on Sunday morning. You don't attend church. You are the church. All right, so let's all just sort of recalibrate in our mind. This is the church building, but we're the church. We're the church. If God has called you to Wood's Edge, you're part of the Wood's Edge church. So to ask what does God want this church to be like is asking what does God want all of us to be like. Not me, us, us. And we're going to see ten characteristics that God wants all of us to be like here in our passage. Now, one thing that's not pointed out, but it's implicit because it's been all through Acts 2, and that is all of this is about the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not mentioned again in our passage, but from verses 1 through 40, right up to our passage, this is the outpouring of the Spirit that launches the church. And so let me just say this. If we want these ten characteristics as a people and as individuals, then simple first step is to surrender to the Spirit of God. Oh, Spirit, would you take charge in my life? I surrender all that I am to you. So that's where it starts. Let me read the passage. Would you stand with me in honor of God's Word? Because of the untold billions of words on the planet, only these words are God's words. And this is what God says about the church, including you. Verse 41, we'll start. Acts 2, 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds, the, proce the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's word. Please be seated. All right, church, 10 characteristics God wants in every church, including this one, which means he doesn't want them in the building. He wants them in our lives. So the first one is baptism. You saw that at the outset in 41. So those who received his word, Peter's word, the word of the gospel, those who received it uh, were baptized. And there were 3,000 people baptized. And so that's how you come to Christ. You receive Christ as your Savior. You receive God's word. You put your trust in a Savior. And then you get baptized. There, again, after Acts 2, when the church starts, there are no unbaptized Christians. Not only no unchurched Christians, but no unbaptized Christians in the New Testament. You just can't find one. Because every Christian gets baptized as a symbol. Yes, I've been joined to Christ. I've been buried with him in his death and raised up from him to new life. I am a Christ follower. And if you have not been baptized since you've trusted Christ your Savior, then by all means, obey the Lord with baptism. And this is what you might do, is to pull out that connect card in front of you, mark on there somewhere, your name, phone number, email, 
and that you want to get baptized, drop it in the offering boxes on the way out, and we'll get back to you. Now, we regularly baptize folks here at Wood's Edge. Sometimes we've been done the last few years in the mornings, but sometimes we also do it. We've got a baptism pool right out that way that some of you may not have ever seen. You kind of go out those doors and head uh, east uh, toward the student building. You see them. Uh, last Sunday afternoon, we had a baptism and uh, it was a, particularly a family baptism with children. A lot of times the, uh, one of the parents would baptize them, but also Jeff Miller, our children's pastor, standing to your left there, he would do some baptism. Very exciting things to have these baptisms. 29 last Sunday, and sometimes those go on out there. All right, baptism is a characteristic. Second characteristic of the church is godly leaders. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Those were the leaders. Now, the apostles, that term can be used generally today, but in a technical sense, were the 12 apostles, disciples, Paul was later added to that number, who were eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. And they were the main leaders in the early church. So the church in Jerusalem were led by the 12 apostles. It was the 11 minus Judas, and they got Matthias in to take his place. But out after Jerusalem, uh, all the churches are led by what the Bible calls elders. Elders. And this is just a group of, of godly men who have, meet the biblical qualifications. Not perfect folks, but, but, but godly, biblically qualified, qualified elders. Now, what you ought to know is that this is God's way of leading or having governance in a local church, a plurality of elders. Let me contrast that with a couple of ways that uh, some of us grew up with that uh, do not really reflect that, that, that way of leading. Uh, one way is to have one man kind of dominate everything. I would urge you, if you get transferred next week to Phoenix and you move to Phoenix and you start looking for a church, don't go to a church unless the senior pastor is under the accountability of a group of elders. Not on paper and in theory, but actual accountability. Every senior pastor needs that. I serve with the elders, but I also serve under the elders. So look for a plurality of elders. Also, uh, another common way, but it's not God's way, is just have popular vote for the most popular people to run the church. Uh, God's way is a plurality of godly elders. Not perfect people, but godly people. We've got 23 elders here, and they are humble men, best group of elders I've ever worked with. I thank God for them. Okay, we've seen two characteristics. Baptism, a group of leaders or elders. Thirdly, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is, for us, the Bible, the Word of God. Notice that it says... They devoted themselves to it. So they didn't just give a little uh, lip service to it. They devoted themselves because this is God's word. This was their foundation. This was, they recognized these words are the eternal words of God. They are our foundation and only foundation for life. It is impossible to have a healthy church without being devoted to the scriptures, the Bible. Now remember, uh, the church is not Jeff, so it's not a matter of me being devoted. It's us being devoted, isn't it? Amen. So it's not just you listening to, to me preach, but you're in the Word of God yourself. So daily, we all need to be in God's Word. If we're devoted, 
to the Word of God. Those of you who are parents, I would urge you, uh, don't delegate to uh, the children's ministry at Woods Edge responsibility in an hour a week, sometimes you know, only once or twice a month uh, to teach you the Scriptures, but you are responsible. I heard uh, Friday night about a guy, and, well, I was talking to a man and his wife, and uh, they, they're, they're from Malaysia, and uh, the, the man's mother, I, I'm pretty sure it was her mother, his mother was, the, was a first-generation Christian from China. And Taoist background, Buddhist background, she was the first Christian probably ever in the family. And her husband was not a Christian. Later, he would become a Christian. He wasn't a Christian, but, but what she did is every night at 8 o'clock, she gathered her two kids, and they read the Bible and prayed. I mean, she was devoted to the Scriptures. And sometimes those of us who in so-called Christian America, we just sort of take it for granted. And we need to, to teach our kids. By, by the way, I would encourage you, you know, those of you who are getting transferred to Phoenix and you're looking for that church, um, you know, some churches can, can kind of base their teaching lightly based on Scripture. They kind of begin with a verse, then they go off, you know, who knows where. Um, what we want is to be deeply rooted, not lightly based. Deeply rooted. I think the best way is verse by verse. And so I'd encourage you. Uh, find a church, verse by verse, as the normal fare. All right, devoted to God's Word. Are you devoted to God's Word? Third, community, verse 42. Now, this is what Joe was talking about in the video, Joe and Allison. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now, the Greek word for fellowship is a famous Greek word. It's one or two famous Greek words in the Bible. It's called koinonia, and it simply means sharing. What did they share? They shared their lives. They shared their hearts they shared their struggles, as Joe and Allison did. They shared their joys. They didn't live alone. They didn't walk alone. You cannot fully grow as a Christian if you live in isolation. You can't do it. You can't do the one another's all through the New Testament. God made us for a community, so all of us need some kind of group. Now, Joe Lanzalotti is going to be outside those doors after the service, kiosk there, some other staff with him. He could tell you. We call them journey groups. Because we journey together. That's what we call our small groups. And there's a, uh, we've got home church groups basically around neighborhoods. And then we've got men's groups and we've got women's groups. Now, it's interesting that he says they're devoted to community or fellowship here. But a few verses later, he amplifies that, underscores it in verse 46 when he says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes... They received their food with glad and generous hearts. So it just kind of underscores they not only met in the temple, but they also met in home to home, just like we saw in the video. Now, the church in Jerusalem was about our size, maybe a little bit smaller. And um, they met in the temple for large group celebration worship. And then they met house to house for fellowship. That's what we do here at Woods Edge. We meet all together on Sunday mornings. Uh, large group teaching and worship, but we also have these small groups during the week. Let us help you because you cannot grow and you are hardwired for community and we want to help you as a church find the right community because we are not a cruise ship of people, consumers to be entertained, but we are a battleship of warriors to advance the kingdom against the forces of darkness. So we want to move together. The fifth thing they were devoted to is communion. Now, they didn't just take communion on, a, on occasion. They didn't take it lightly. They were devoted to communion. 
devoted to communion, which I would say in many ways is the centerpiece of our worship. Because in our communion, we are focusing on Jesus Christ and his cross. That Jesus died for us. That our whole basis, our whole hope for salvation is in the cross, in the shed blood, in the crucified body of, of Jesus. And they were devoted, it says, to communion. Wasn't an option. It wasn't optional, a sporadic thing. It was central and basic thing. Never let communion become routine for you. Those of you who come regularly at Wood's Edge, don't let it be routine. Always sort of remind yourself as you're taking communion, okay, this is my simple, tangible, physical expression. Jesus, I am so grateful that you shed your blood, your body was crucified, you bore my sin, and I am completely forgiven forever. And you just remind yourself what it means. Now, if you're not part of a church, if you're not a regular part of the church, then clearly you're not devoted to communion. <laughs> you can't be. And so, for that reason alone, be a regular, vital part of a church family that celebrates communion. By the way, I would encourage you to celebrate communion in your small groups, your home church groups, your other groups. That is a completely good and valid thing to do. In addition to celebrating here, because this is so central to our worship. So in your house churches and home churches, men's groups, you can celebrate communion together. I love what Francis Chan said about it. He said, dream of people going house to house to take communion. Some spontaneously bursting into tears. Others bursting into song. No one indifferent. One person praises God for his sacrifice, imagining the Father's pain as Christ's blood flowed. Another sits speechless, stunned by the intimacy of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Another shouts for joy as he experiences the complete cleansing of his darkest sins. Communion is central part of our worship to focus on the cross. By the way, I mentioned communion, but all ten of these characteristics can be done in the, the, the small group and the big group. The journey group as well as all of us together. Number six, prayer. They devoted themselves to the prayers in verse 42. Now, you've heard from me so much about prayers, especially in the book of Acts. This is one of the things they were devoted to, but it is also one of the three big themes throughout the book. Nearly 60 references, time after time, this is emphasized. Uh, that's why we as a church give such emphasis to it. Um, the, the early church, you would say that prayer is really their lifeblood. This is how they did life and how they did church. They were devoted to it because they were devoted to God and because they needed God, because they were desperate for God. They didn't want to have a little mild dose of religion. They wanted God to show up. It is the greatest privilege of a human being that we could communicate with the Almighty God. Now, all of us who are uh, good spiritual Christians and we're Astros fans, you know, we'd love to talk with some of the Astros, especially, you know, guys like Jose Altuve. That'd be a privilege, man, to, to talk with him and uh, about a little baseball. But, okay, just to elevate it a billion, 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 billion times, we talk with God anytime, anytime. It's amazing. Prayer. They were devoted to prayer. We've got to see in our hearts, this is the real work, and this is the great privilege. You know, we had our 40-day prayer challenge, if you've been with us there, and I was just so grateful to you as a congregation. The way you pressed in, I just, all people all over the church just felt closer to God. God worked in their lives. It just was a rich, rich time. But, you know, God 
sets people to pray and sets churches to pray when he wants to do a great work. And so I believe God wants to do a great work in our lives. I think that's why he put that on my heart, our hearts, to press into prayer. Because God wants to do a work in our lives. So let's be ready. Number seven, a little bit unusual, a little bit oblique. It is anointing, what I call anointing. It's expressed by verse 43. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all came upon every soul, the presence of God. Many signs and wonders, the power of God. Let me summarize both of those together with the word anointing. The Holy Spirit's empowerment, the Holy Spirit's anointing, the Holy Spirit was poured out and the presence of God was palpable. The power of God was evident. And uh, there was such an electricity in there. There's such a, you know, it was a carbonated atmosphere. We want anointing more than anything. For years I've said, if somebody asked me, what's the main thing, Jeff, I could pray for you about? It would be for God's anointing. I don't want to just beat my gums. I mean, nothing's going to happen. But I want the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in all of our lives, changing lives. I am so grateful for you praying for me as your pastor. If you pray for me anything, pray for God's anointing. Because that is what we desperately need if we're going to see God transform lives. We want here not so much a church full of people but a people full of God, a people full of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit. Oh, God, do it, we pray. All right, eight, generosity, verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, that was incredible. Now, uh, this is not one big commune here. That becomes very clear later in the book. It, it's not that they had no private property. That'll become just real clear later. What it does mean is that they had generous hearts that were freed up by God completely. You know, you know what we tend to do is that on our stuff, we mentally write mine. Whereas a Christ follower writes God's that belong to me. It all belongs to God, and therefore, I am free to be generous because God has been so generous to me, especially in a Savior. You know, God is the most generous person in the universe. I mean, He defines generosity, and He makes you in His image. In other words, you're hardwired to be a generous person, and you can never be fully human, certainly not fully joyful, unless there is generosity flowing out of your bones. So, um, reflect the generosity of God, just like they did here. Man, they were freely giving away because God had been so generous to them. So, number nine, praise. They were, verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. Worship is all that we do for God, including singing praises. Worship, if I wash dishes for God, that's worship. If I obey the Lord in anything, that's worship. But praise is specifically a worship that includes singing and expressing our adoration. Or as Charles Wesley put it, when you're lost in love, wonder, and praise. You fall in love with you. Without praise in your life, 
what you've got is religious ritual. You don't have love affair. So maybe some of you have a background that you so prioritize the word and you don't really care about the worship, the singing part. Uh-uh. Uh, that is a big red flag. Uh, this is not churchianity. This is not religious ritual. This is love affair. And it's the word and the spirit. Father is looking for both those who worship him in spirit and in truth. So there was praise. It's a big part. Now, by the way, all through the Old Testament, God's people gather weekly for worship. We see it with the Jews in the Old Testament. By the way, we see it with Jesus in the Gospels because we have phrases like this. As was his custom, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. So we see it in the Gospels with Jesus. We see it the rest of the New Testament with the early church, weekly worship. Now, you might be aware that um, uh, average Bible-believing Christians in America, you know, folks like us who really believe this is God's Word, uh, the average monthly church attendance is 1.7, a pretty big difference from the biblical pattern and call, weekly gathering with God's people. All of us are out of town at times. I'm certainly out of town, town at times. But when you're in town, unless you're real sick, let me urge you, don't get up on Sunday mornings and decide, man, should I go to church or not? Uh, don't do that. Already pre-decide that, that if I'm in town, I'm going to be worshiping with God's people because that's what God's people have always done. And I know so many of you do that. By the way, if you've got kids at home, they can't look into your heart. They don't look at your checkbook to have the, have the best signs of your devotion to God. You know what they look at? The mom and dad prioritize weekly church. That's what they look at to see mom and dad really are serious about Jesus, not just lip service. So, worship, praise. One more, 10, mission. Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, that's so fascinating compared to where we start in verse 41 when the church of 120 believers had 3,000 people added. And don't you know that some of those folks in that early church were thinking, man, who are all these people? I thought it was going to be us four and no more. And all these people are coming in. And then it doesn't stop. Day by day, God is saving people. And that's the whole purpose of the church. Because that's the whole purpose of Jesus. He came to seek and to save the lost. That's what the cross is all about. So certainly, we want to be reaching out. We want to be praying. We want to be sharing the Christ. We want to be loving people. You know, our top five, this is five people. Lord, God, give me five people around me who don't yet know you. And we pray daily for them. And then we're alert to opportunities God gives us. Now, when I was 18 years old and Rusty Draper shared Christ with me on Stewart Beach in Galveston, he didn't know it, but I was so hungry spiritually. God had been drawing me all year, my senior year in high school. He had been just wooing me, and I was so hungry. You know, somebody had to say boo, and I would have, you know, uh, how do you trust Christ? Do you know there are people around you who God is drawing? They're all around. Not everyone, but there are many people throughout this area, probably on your street in your apartment complex, probably in your work, probably folks that you work out with, and God's at work drawing them. Why don't you get the great privilege of telling them about Jesus Christ and changing a whole eternity? I mean, a mission, a church exists 
for those outside who want to be mission. Now, those are the ten characteristics. And remember, that's not the characteristics of, you know, some building or campus. That's the characteristics of every single one of us who are part of the church. Baptism, godly leadership, that's part of it. Bible, community, communion, prayer, anointing of the Spirit, generosity, praise, mission. How are you doing in those? Remember, the first step is, you know, is not you trying harder, but it's surrender. Oh, Lord, I cannot do these things, but would you fill me afresh with your Spirit? I surrender to your Holy Spirit. When the New Testament calls us as a church, including this church here at Wood's Edge, warts and all, when he calls us his bride, he's telling us his heart towards us is a romance. It is a sacred romance. And he, is lo- he loves us and he's committed to us. And he wants us to love him back. Because he loves his church, we ought to love it too. Some of you know the name Mike Singletary, who actually is from Houston, was a great NFL football player, first Baylor, then the Chicago Bears, NFL, a Hall of Fame, a later NFL head coach. And you may know that he's a devoted Christ follower. And he gives this little anecdote once about moving houses. And he said this about it. He says, we love this church. Um, He's talking about another church. He says, we built our dream home and moved in for one week. We looked at each other and said, we are too far from our church. So we sold our home so we could get closer to the action. Church, Christ followers are close to the action. They're not spectators. This is not the NFL where there are 22 people down on the field badly overworked and 70,000 in the stands who are badly underworked. There are no spectators. We all roll up our sleeves and get to work because we're not consumers to be entertained. We're soldiers to advance the kingdom. So get close to the action. Let's do this. Bow your head, and let's just ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me about the church and about my role in it? Just ask the Lord and be quiet. Lord, what do you want to say to us, each of us, about this passage? Perhaps a word, a thought, an image came to your mind. He put it in your heart, maybe not, maybe you got to keep praying about that later today, but if God puts something in your heart, then obey it, obey it, do it. Here are the 10 characteristics. Lord God, thank you for your church. Thank you that we can be part of it because you love us, because you're so gracious to us. Lord, help us to be all in, because we're all in for the gospel. Lord, we love you and we bless you in Christ's name.